Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. The show was, of course, Commodity Watch Radio, hosted in association with Mindsight. Now, keener listeners may remember listening to the show last uh, November. When I say last November, I mean November 2008, at the depths of despair in the financial markets. And I was talking to Tim Coughlin about his very exciting company, Lydian International. Um, and I'm sitting talking to Tim once again. Hello, Tim. Welcome back to the show. Hi again, Dominic. Tim's an exploration geologist, and uh, he specialises in, in going into uh, underexplored countries uh, with new geological models. And uh, this business strategy has taken him to southeast Europe, to the Balkans. And his company, Lydian, uh, has made two very exciting uh, discoveries, one of them in Kosovo, that is the Drajnia deposit, and perhaps the more exciting of the two in Armenia, the Amulsar deposit. Um, so let, why don't you start, Tim, with giving a quick overview of, of, of Lydian and what you do and what those two deposits are, and then we'll move on, because uh, there's some exciting company news coming out, and that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Um, in a nutshell, Lydian developed out of a consulting business that was geared to, towards taking major companies into emerging transitional environments and advising those companies on how to manage their exposure to risk um, and how to deal with, um, with the exploration and discovery process in those environments. So that would be taking kind of a BHP or a Newmont or someone like that into you know, right off the beaten track, basically. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're very cautious um, as to their exposure in, in those sort of environments. And, and, and at that particular stage, we're talking four or five years ago now, um, we could go in as a small proxy group um, experienced in, in working in those sort of environments and make those assessments um, um, for those companies um, for their own use. That eventually um, became um, Lydian, and by way of a discovery we made rather awkwardly in Armenia um, by driving past a um, very what's become a very large gold system. I mean, this is a this is a wonderful story. You, you were literally driving on the road, and, and which was cut through the side of a, a mountain. And you said to your uh, you said to your co-passenger, maybe your navigator, that looks. Yeah, uh, we it was our second day in Armenia, and we were working on a, a contract for a major gold company. Um, they went with us. It was simply myself, um, um, the, uh, lo- the, the guy who is now our, our um, very highly regarded managing director in country, and um, one of our former directors, um, Hugh Devlin, um, who's a former Royal Marine. And um, um, we were on our main road, going on the main road, and there is only one main road in southern Armenia, going somewhere else. Um, and drove through a very large, um, what's called a high-sulfidation epithermal gold system, which to many of your listeners might sound convoluted and complicated, but um, basically they are um, the type of gold system you find in, in extensive mountain belts, 
and most well-known, well-documented and understood in the Andes. So systems such as Veladero, uh, um, Piarina, Yanacocha, um, who their minds that some of your listeners may be familiar with. But the former Soviet geologists had, um, um, I won't say no knowledge, but very little knowledge of this type of um, gold-bearing system, and they were under very strict instructions to find high-grade. These are low-grade, open-pit-style projects. So, of course, they hadn't, identifi- hadn't identified it, so hence it was sitting on the main road, which, by the way, is the old um, transect of, of the Silk Road. So man- right. mankind's been putting along there for, what, 2,000-odd years? More, I would say. Um, so, so that was basically the serendipitous process yeah. of coming across it. And, and, and it, uh, you've now proved up some... Is it almost two million ounces you've proved up there? At the moment, we're, um, we're at inferred resource stage with 1.4 million ounces completely open in all directions. And if, I, if I may just expand on that point, what, um, um, after, we, after we licensed it and um, moved into the resource sort of definition stage, we had um, a couple of important milestones we had to meet. Under the old Armenian law, we had three years on the, mining li- on the expiration license to convert it into a mining license which um, you know, those listeners of yours who understand the industry will realise is a very short time frame to go from a grassroots discovery to a mining licence in three years. In fact, it's, it's an extraordinary time frame. Um, so we had to focus very much on that, and that, that guided our drilling. So 2008, I guess, was what you would call the resource discovery year where we drilled out a million ounces. But we were very focused on getting a resource, getting our um, applications for mining licence conversion into the Armenian government, which we did. That, of course, meant that we were limited in doing regional step-out style drilling for 2008 and defining the size of the system. So we did that in 2009. Okay. Um, so in 2009, while we were stepping out and defining new areas, we weren't adding to that initial, um, what we would call, I guess, starter resource yeah. in, in many ways, a million ounces. So it's, um, we managed to add another 400,000 ounces onto the, uh, onto the resource, um, but that is, that's basically almost accidental in the fact that we did some of our step-out drilling close to the southern extent and just grew the resource slightly. So this, year, this year's program is, is sort of twofold. It's focused on very much extending that resource from its 1.4 million ounce base that it is now. Um, it's open in all directions. Um, and then, excitingly, the very last hole of 2009, um, we intersected... 229 metres at a gram in a, a project that we, we know as Irato, which is a kilometre north of the existing resource envelope, um, and that was in one line. That's completely open, so there's, there's high hopes for adding some significant ounces there as well. When you say completely open... If you think of um, we, so the shape of it, um, if you can imagine... Um, let me see now. Um, if you can imagine something that was sort of sausage-shaped, and then we've drilled one line across that. So we've sliced that sausage in the middle with one knife of okay. <laughs> drill holes. So that means, you know, it's open along the sausage, if you like, a long strike in either directions. Okay. That's an analogy you may not want to use. <laughs> the sausage <laughs> analogy. <laughs> now, the, the, um, the, if nothing else, this story just shows how exciting exploration geology is and how you can go from essentially nothing to, you know, a million, potentially a multi-million ounce deposit. One of my, I, I guess, you know, our Lydian's um, strategy is very much based on the grassroots ex- exploration model. 
and um, it, it's probably not a truism anymore, but it's a but it's a philosophy in the in of ours that you know we can find it quicker than you can buy it. Um, there's a lot a lot of companies over the last well, particularly last um, decade, I guess, have focused their strategies on the, you know the acquisition, find a small resource that's under pressure, abandoned for some particular reason, and and, and develop it. Uh, and we certainly don't shy away from that. That's a valid part, valid business model. It's what we've done in Kosovo. But grassroots exploration really is um, what we cut our teeth on and, and what we focus on as a company. We've got this exciting news, which I want to talk about, and I want to, want to talk about the structure of the company. But briefly, tell us just about your other deposit, Drajnia in Kosovo. Well, Drajnia is um, an advanced um, base metal deposit, uh, lead, zinc, silver. It was a uh, it got to reserve stage during the Yugos- Yugoslav years. Um, and was abandoned due to ethnic unrest and conflict um, with the breakup of Yugoslavia. Um, that, at the moment, because our focus is very much on Armosar, very much on Armenia, uh, for the last uh, six months, I guess, we've been working on advancing that project to the point of joint venture. So we released an NI43-101 compliant resource on that, and we're in very advanced discussions with a major partner on, um, on joint venturing that project out. So that we can focus on the flag on the, uh, uh, the the main project, which is Amosa. Okay. Now, Lydian, what's what's the market cap of Lydian? Uh, market cap at the moment is um, about thirty-eight point seven million, somewhere around about forty million. And do you've got how much cash at the moment? We've got we've got four point three million in the bank. And you were trading uh, uh, on Friday. You closed at uh, seventy-three yep. Canadian cents. You're listed in Canada. Uh, on the TSX, on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Now, one of the, um, uh, I suppose, one of the things that takes the risk out of the, I mean, exploration is obviously an extremely risky business, but one of the um, things that makes this company less risky than your average explorer is that you have um, the support of some major players. You have the support of Newmont, you have the support of the International Bank. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about that and then we'll go into your news. Right, okay, so uh, in terms of our major shareholders, our our largest shareholder at the moment is the International Finance Corporation, which is the equity investment arm of the World Bank. Um, We we sought those guys out as as an investor, you know, forward slash partner, or partner forward slash investor, in fact, in in, the the very early days as a means of mitigating um, and comforting the market on the issue of geopolitical risk. Um, they're very active in our company as advisors, um, particularly on the environmental and social side of things. Um, and uh, they're, they're certainly a, a, you know, a major component of the business model. I fail to see how, um, in, in my opinion, how any company in our particular sphere um, could succeed quite as well as we can without a partner such as the IFC. And so they earn about 15%, don't they, just under? Yeah, somewhere around about that. And insiders have uh, 40%, 41% insiders, directors, management and so on. Correct. And then Newmont have 14 or 15% of the company. Yeah, uh, yeah, around about fifteen, uh, around about fifteen percent, fourteen percent. Newmont, this is the the big story of the day. So, yeah, give us a background to their involvement and then break the news. Right, the background to the involvement um, was basically we started dealing with Newmont in uh, capacity as as a consulting company before becoming a um, um, Lydian. Um, they were after um, a, a sort of the product that we used to do as a consulting company in the Caucasus. 
Um, when they approached us, we started Lydian, so we told them that um, we were unavailable for consulting purposes, and um, so we decided to do a joint venture with them. Um, and at that stage, I think we had uh, £60,000 in the bank. There's about four of us <laughs> in the company. Um, the IFC weren't involved. Uh, another major shareholder I haven't mentioned yet is the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development. They also um, weren't involved at that stage. So you know, we felt, given um, our plans um, of, of working in former Soviet environments, that we needed a, a big brother. And in those days, I think that was a fairly reasonable uh, um, assumption, reasonable yeah. outlook. Um, so we brought Newmont in. Um, that, um, by way of um, exceedingly good fortune for them, meant that they took an interest in the Amalsar project that we discovered and licensed. At that stage, we had a license over it and um, very, very little indication of gold in the project. So, yeah. of course, they've worked with us in developing this project up to the point that it is, that it is now. Um, as a passive partner, in, in many ways, um, mm-hmm. they, we, we, were, we were operators, Although um, you know they did play a fairly large role, uh, particularly last year, in terms of helping us and targeting some of the regional um, regional outliers that we've s- since identified, um, we've got to the point now where um, uh, on the project, uh, as of last year, we were granted our mining license, um, April two thousand and nine. That gives us a six hundred thousand ounce starter pit that we can start mining um, pretty much tomorrow, um, all our agreements are in place. Um, and under the Armenian regulations, we need to move towards production of at least that, um, and certainly more now, as I say, we're up to 1.4 million yeah. ounces and open and growing. We need to start production in 2013. That We were told by Newmont that that timeline was just too hard for them, uh, and it's not a model for a major company. Um, some of your listeners will be aware of this. Economically, starting with a small pit like that is something that they they, they might find difficult to, um, to to digest. So it all it all became difficult at that point um, for Newmont. So we started talking to them almost four months ago about um, how to get around this. Mm-hmm. Um, Armenian go- uh, government is very firm on its uh, on its view that this project should be into production in 2013. We know we can do that. We're starting feasibility work this year. Um, we've already completed a um, processing plant scoping study. Environmental work is well down the track, um, thanks um, in a very large part to the guidance and, uh, and goodwill of the International Finance Corporation, the World Bank. Um, so... Um, that, um, I guess, and you, I guess your readers will need to draw um, their own opinion on this, but um, Newmont are also um, divesting their assets in Turkey at the moment. Uh, they've closed their office there or closing their office there. Uh, so, so they're generally sort of reducing their exposure in the region, and they would have been left um, as their only exposure being our project in a, in a 50-50 joint venture, which was driving towards um, a production deadline that, that might have been difficult for a major to meet. So certainly that's what they've told us um, has motivated them to this point where um, we're buying them out, and, and that's the big news. Um, you only own 50% of Amalsar, and they had 50% of it. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And And so you're buying them out. How much is that going to cost? It's going to cost us um, basically... F- 15 million in three payments. Um, they're going to take some shares as well. Um, it's an initial payment of 5 million um, that needs to be made within 60 days. Um, 
Then we have to pay another five at the end of 2011, another five at the end of uh, 2012, or uh, directly after a bankable feasibility and successful permitting, whichever whichever comes first. So 15 million, they're paying essentially, or you're paying 15 million for at least 1,400,000 ounces of gold in the ground. That That's... I don't know, but that seems like a reasonably good deal to me, well, I think given some, that there's the potential for so much more. Yeah, and I think, I think everybody needs to be aware that this is a growing project that, that's being bought here. It's not um, a closed-off resource. It's, it's been extended in all directions at the moment. Um, and then we have the post-production commitments we have um, are either um, a 3% royalty or um, a series of, pay, of quarterly payments, or we can buy that whole lot out for around about um, 16 million at that point, depending on the size of the project. So the beauty of the post-production um, uh, structure is that we can elect either the royalty, um, depending on pressures of the project, gold price, etc., or we can just get them out of the project at that particular point. The the all of the payments can be um, uh, pre-purchased at any time um, at the present value calculated using a 10% discount rate. So if you looked at the, if you wanted to buy out, or if we decided we wanted to buy out the 15 million of uh, expiration pre-production costs, I think today that would cost us about 13.7 million. Now, I mean, we we spoke on the phone yesterday when we arranged this interview, and and uh, one of the things that I said is that I, I was amazed that Newmont were pulling out because you know resources are so hard to find and exciting deposits and and you replied that you were amazed Newmont had stayed as long as they have um, the uh, and uh, you know it's it, it's obvious the reasons that they have done but a lot of people will people like this company because of Newmont's involvement and and like I say it took some of the risk out of exploration because you had that protection that a, that a major gives you um, but I actually think this is a, a brave step forward and it's a good move for the company and it gives the company a lot more power over their own um, assets. How do you think the, the, the market's going to react to this? I mean, some shareholders will like it and others perhaps <coughs> won't like it. What, what's your... I mean, how would you console those who would be worried about this move? Yeah, I think first first thing, if I can just qualify that comment about why I was amazed that Newmont's yeah. staying in. Um, um, I've worked with and for major companies and um, generally you, you know a, a major gold company should in my view uh, and in the view of some of the others I've worked with be focusing on areas where um, the the fertility or, or the, the gold fertility is such that five million ounces is sort of an average bare minimum that they should be finding um, and you know, West Africa, Australia, um, South America, various other places are, are far more endowed with that particular size of deposit. Now, in the region that we're working in, it may simply be um, this may simply be that that, that uh, there hasn't been sufficient exploration conducted to to know whether that's the case. But generally, what we know is the Tethian system, that mountain range, is fertile for um, sort of you know, three to five million ounce projects, which is why, you know, I would I would have been surprised to to have seen Newmont uh, hanging in there, looking when they're looking for super large, um, you know, the top five um, percent of the global distribution of gold deposits. Okay. Um, in terms of the market, so I mean, do I read into that that you're saying, I mean, this is obviously a big de- gold deposit. It's a very exciting gold deposit, but you don't see it reaching five million ounces. Well, that's inter- and it's, that's very interesting because the honest answer the, to that question is. Um, 
Could Amundsar be 5 million ounces? The honest answer to that is yes. It could be 5 million ounces. Um, because these, these projects are always inherently um, difficult to predict. Uh, my, my dear chairman describes them as drilling a fruit scone and trying to hit the, uh, the, 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 the raisins and salt. Okay. <laughs> so there's plenty of raisins and salt hammers to be told. My view um, is that the likelihood is it's larger than two. Yeah, um, and somewhere between two and three. So, that, so there you have it. That that would be my view at this point, as yeah. a, as an honest assessment of the results and prospectivity of the project. But could it be five million ounces? The honest answer is yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, let's move on to to, to consoling worried shareholders about yeah. Newmont's movement away. I should point out that Newmont are staying in the, in the company. They're, they're looking to take out another 3 million shares in, in Lydian. So that should give um, some of your listeners some comfort in terms of their view um, of the potential at Amosar. If you had to choose between the two partners, Newmont and the International World Bank, the International World Bank will kind of protect you from in a way that Newmont can't. Yeah, I, th- I think if we, if we go back to the very early days of the company where... You know, we had that sixty thousand quid in the bank, yeah. and um, and we felt very much alone. Um, uh, I think uh, if we were to stack up the, you know, the influential and risk mitigation value of those two partners, the IFCs, leaps and bounds ahead. You know, when we signed the deal with Newmont, we 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 didn't have the IFC as a large shareholder or the EBRD for that matter. Now, um, obviously, one of the big problems that. Uh, mining companies face when they're trying to build a mine is they have no income until they start selling the metal and a lot of money has to be spent before you're in a position to to, to sell the metal. So I want to ask you, Tim, um, you know, you've got to raise 15 million over three years, how you're going to do that. And at that stage, I should probably bring in Frank uh, into the conversation. Now, let me just uh, quickly introduce Frank. Frank Lucas is the director or one of the directors of Loeb Aaron. He's a geologist um, who has now moved into corporate finance and he helps raise money for... um, Is it only mining companies, Frank, or is it...? Largely, yeah, largely. Okay, so... um, how you're going to pay for it? Should I? Do you want to answer that question first, Tim, or should I, ha- should I hand that straight over to Frank? Why don't you hand straight over, straight over to Frank? <laughs> okay. His fingers on, on that button. So here we go. And Frank, yeah, uh, no, I mean, in, may in, I just firstly say it's great to have you on the show, and it's you great so to much, talk Dominic. to you. So you've got one of one of the premier shows in in the world. So I'm delighted to uh, <laughs> to uh, to talk to you on this. Now, your your question is a very good one, Dominic. Uh, you know, how how do companies with no revenues raise money? And obviously, investors. Uh, subscribe for the equity shares of uh, small developmental and fledgling exploration companies in the expectation of revenues that will eventually um, take uh, take place when, as you rightly put it, metal is produced. Um, in the case of Lydian, I think investors have got a fairly transparent route to those revenues so that they will likely, as they have done in the past in fact, subscribe for these shares quite willingly. And as Tim was mentioning to you before, large institutions have agreed with that prognosis. Investments by the International Finance Corporation, the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. And in fact, Newmont itself subscribed for some shares uh, in the capital structure. And, and my own, um, my own um, investment banking um, shop, Loeb Aaron & Co., has itself subscribed, uh, as have many others. In fact, the, uh, the shareholder roster of, of Lydian 
um, would uh, make any uh, junior exploration company proud, as they will do again here. Curiously, and perhaps counterintuitively, the financing of um, small mining companies gets easier uh, the closer one is to production. And after production, bizarrely enough, it can sometimes get a little harder. Because, some because of people the, don't understand why they need money. Well, not only that, but some of the, some of the you know, if, if, if you've got a tired mine in South Africa that's been producing gold for the last 50 years but hasn't, in fact, been making that much money because it's very deep and it's got all sorts of labor issues, you know, that may be harder to finance than something as exciting as an open pit, brand new mine in Armenia where you know the profits um, are likely to be um, more enticing than the somewhat limited returns from a very deep South African gold mine. Let me, let me ask you, Tim, I mean, in addition to, to, to the money you have to pay Newmont, I mean, do you have a figure yet on how much this is going to cost you to put this thing into production? Do you... We have we have we have so we have rough estimates of, of how much it's going to cost to put into production, but it's very hard when the resource isn't defined. It's still open in all directions. I mean, I, I can help there, uh, Dominic. That's another another great question, Dominic. Really <laughs> asking five good questions in a row. You flatter me on a Monday morning as well. Um, clearly, that depends on on the rate of production. You know, yeah. if 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 Lydian's producing fifty thousand ounces a year or two hundred thousand ounces a year, the capital costs will be uh, quite different. But these things tend to cost between 10 and $80 million. Uh, and I know the range is large, but obviously, again, I've given you quite a large range in the, uh, in the production rate. Yeah. But with 1.4 million In other words, the more production ounces, you have, the more it costs. Of course. But, you know, with 1.4 million ounces in the inferred category, you know, 100,000 ounce a year producer would give you a 14-year mine life. Um, but if, if uh, Lydian were able, and I use the conditional tense there advisedly, they were able to get this to three or four million ounces, then you could potentially be thinking of a two or three hundred thousand ounce a year producer, and obviously the capital cost would be concomitantly higher. Do you have a rough cost per ounce? Uh, production cost per yeah. ounce. We have, in terms of a cash cost, we have a, we have a rough figure based on on some rough w- w- what we call Whittle models, which are sort of forward models of pit designs. And that's around about uh, $200 an ounce as a cash cost. The, these type of mines are some of the cheapest in the world. And, and, and that, if I can add, is because they're open pit yeah. and the strip ratios are favourable, so you're not moving that much dirt and you don't have to sink shafts and, and have all the ground control issues of underground. And that seems incredibly cheap. Now, is, is the... Um, plan to, I mean you're going to have to issue quite a bit of stock, but are you, is the, are you planning to raise more through debt or through stock issuance or how, what, what, what's the strategy or is it too early to say? Dominic, I, th- I, think, I, think, um, I think the analogy here is we're, we're talking about an eight year old schoolboy and you're trying to ask us what he's going to study at university. Okay. But let me put it this way. I think, I think that will be well, optimized. But, but I, I, That'll be optimized. I have a nine-year-old, and I can tell you now he will go to university. I, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But, but you haven't been telling him what he's going to study, have you? Uh, not geology. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, I think geology is a very good thing for him to study. But, uh, fair enough. But, yeah. but, but sorry, that's, that's why I said eight. I, I, I meant to say nine. But uh, effectively... <laughs> That's what you're dealing with here. I mean, eventually, the debt-equity ratio that the company has to eventually uh, raise will be optimized to uh, make sure that shareholders get the very best deal.
okay. that, that they can. And obviously that'll depend on interest rates at the time and the requirements of the bank. And, the and bank I mean, I'm the money. A, one of the things I like about the capital structure of this company is that, you know, management and insiders at 40% own, you know, that, I mean, I know some companies where management have got kind of 3%. No, and, this, and, this, and so this, you will will act in the best interests of shareholders. This I'm company, sure. this one, I, I can say is this: this is a company which, um, in our experience, Dominic uh, management has come in on every financing round, and uh, the pedigree of management is uh, is is really well up there. One of the directors I've known for many years, I'll mention his name is Mr. Mark Henderson, who um, just recently uh, relinquished his position, I think, on the. Uh, in Aqualine. On, the, on the board of Aqualine, and that, that was, of course, a tremendous success. Pan American Silver has, has paid um, many hundreds of millions of dollars for that company, and, and that's not even in production yet. Mm. So you can imagine how, um, how well regarded he is, and he's, he, in fact, he's repeated that success elsewhere, and he's also very successful in Australia. In Laramide, yeah. In Laramide, and um, you know, the, uh, the chairman, Gordon Wiley, used to head up um, the exploration efforts of Anglo-American, and uh, and of course Tim Coughlin, whose whose exploration credentials need need no introduction, even in the finest clubs. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I think we've kind of covered everything. Is is there anything else uh, you wanted to say, Tim, uh, about the company? No, no. I think there's there there's only one thing I wanted to sort of interrupt there when we're talking about financing and 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 uh, moving through stage gates is at, th- at this point, we're very focused on getting to bankable feasibility. And the, the debt equity discussion generally comes in after you've, you've okay. completed your bankable feasibility study. We, we, we will be starting on that this year, and we expect to have that finished um, before mid-2012. Okay. Now, let me, let's just, just take the conversation out for a little bit more. You've got, you've got to go upstairs, have you, Frank? I want to ask you very okay. quick. Are you? Um, are you what's your in 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 no more than two minutes? What is your take on the world at the moment? Are you bullish about mining stocks? Are you bearish? Are you bullish on the economy? Are you nervous? Do we going to get another round of I'm, I'm, credit crunch? What's Dominic, going on? I, I know your show's bull and bears. I I don't really give predict, predict projections anymore. Having uh, stopped doing that, I think just about when I when I reached um, maturity about five years ago. But, and the reason for that is I, I think projections have always got an inbuilt human bias to them and a prejudice. All I can tell you is uh, give you some facts, and that is that the world population is circa 10 billion, and many of those in a histogram of that world population are, um, are moving from... 7 billion. Or 7 or... Okay. No, no, I think it's more than that. Okay. But, but whatever it is, it's many billions. Okay. And, um, and that shows you why we don't give projections. But, <laughs> but it's, it's more than 5 billion and less than 20. Okay. And, but, but many of those, whether it's 5 or 20 or 10, are, um, are moving up the, uh, the class, uh, the class uh, catchment area. So the peasants are becoming lower class, the lower class are becoming middle class, and so on and so forth. And in that movement, the consumption of metals, oil, gas porcelain, you name it, goes up by quantum numbers. Uh, you've seen this, of course, in the, in the well-documented uh, examples of the BRIC countries, of particularly China and Brazil and Russia mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And as that happens, the world demand for metals and, of course, for the true currency like gold will increase markedly. 
And if um, I'm and and that, that that's just a simple uh, mathematical feature that will happen. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you two more questions before I let you go, Frank. First yep. question, and I'm going to ask you this question in a second, Tim. So you've got time to prepare. <laughs> if you had to buy three junior mining companies now at current prices in their current state, what would your three picks be? If I, if two, I, well, you know, I just give me a couple of picks. Well, I, I think, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, the, the topic of this particular conversation is Lydian. Lydian uh, is uh, re- remains a, um, a top pick here at Low Baron, so I, I would have to uh, say that, but I, 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 I do so willingly and, and very happily. And in my own right, I'm a, I'm a, a shareholder, so uh, I, th- I think Lydian uh, would be uh, an excellent high risk, but potentially high reward. Uh, stock to have in any portfolio and if somebody wants to find out more about your work what's your do you have a website or uh, we do it's www.lobaron.co.uk Loeb spelt l-o-e-b frank thank you very much thank let you me, dominic as always let me uh, let me turn the conversation back to you tim i was i ask everyone this if you had to buy stock in another company who would you pick because fund managers go for one thing private investors look, look, go for another thing and and the slant of a of a fellow geologist they often know the uh, the properties better than than anyone if, if you had to pick a couple of companies that you like do you have any i'm going to disappoint you Dominic. yeah because <laughs> i'm not a stock picker okay i mean I, you know of course i'm going to say i'm going to say lydian we yeah. buy our own stock um how i mean generally i and, and of course, I'm going to say this as well because mm. it's fundamental behind our strategy. I would go for, and I keep my eye on those companies that are forging ahead um, with grassroots, with generative type work. I mean, I hesitate to say grassroots exploration, but mm-hmm. they, they are finding prospects, they're developing new new prospects. There's always a, a you know a significant amount of of leverage that I think is undervalued on the market by a new discovery. So, and there are new discoveries around the world being made um, at a rate, actually, I think of about above two million ounces. It's around about three a year, um, and you know, I keep my eye on those companies that are finding those new projects. So, old projects always have some sort of a cap on them, even if they're being redeveloped. There's, mm-hmm. some, there's a reason they were left there in the first place. Um, you need to know what that reason is, mm-hmm. um, and there's always a logical cap on on the sort of the growth potential of that particular project because. Um, in most instances, it's a large company that's left that's behind, and usually a technically competent large company. Well, not all of them are, mm. but many of them are. Um, so, you know, the real value add and the real, um, uh, you know, the real leverage in terms of pricing, I think, goes with those um, small, um, aggressive, you know, light, flighty groups that are in prospective environments and, and often working under the radar. So, do your research. Okay. Well, good stuff. Tim, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you. It really is. And, and, you know, sometimes you do these company interviews and they can get a little bit dull sometimes. And uh, I probably shouldn't say that, but anyway, they, they can. Never with and, Frank Lucas in the room. Well, no, certainly <laughs> not with Frank Lucas in the room. He's kind of mining's answer to Boris Johnson. But anyway, the, uh, the, uh, um, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure, to, you know, to talk to you and, and get your perspective on things. And thanks very much for coming on. And Pleasure's one, mine, w- Once again, uh, the stock is Lydian International. The ticker symbol, symbol is LYD. They trade on the TSX. They have a market cap of just below $40 million. And um, their boss is Tim Coughlin. Their website, you want to give out the website, Tim? Uh, it's lydianinternational.co.uk. There you go. Tim Coughlin, thank you very much. Thank you, Dominic. Pleasure. 
Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 